Our mission with this podcast is to inspire, educate, and keep you coming back for more. We never would have thought that our little three-person show in Steph H.'s basement would lead to the queen of barrel racers herself coming on the podcast. Welcome back to the Horsepoor Podcast. I'm your host, Nadine. I'm Steph. I'm Stevie. And we are bringing you Martha Josie. All right, guys, like we have a little bit of a funny story as to how we got Martha on this podcast, but I think we had the whole Josie mindset when we wanted to reach her. <laughs> yeah. If you, uh, if you want something and you want it bad enough, you just go after it. Yeah. yeah. So we just dialed the Josie Ranch off her Instagram page and we're like, hi, can we talk to Martha? <laughs> and lady at the front is like, what about? And we're like, oh, we have a podcast and we would love for her to come on. And we also sent her an Instagram message and Ashley got back to us and said that Martha would love to come on the podcast. And I think I almost cried when we got that message. <laughs> She's definitely an inspiration to a lot of us. Yes. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, Martha Josie deserves to be put out there on every platform because she's one of the most iconic ladies in our industry. And she's also one of the ladies that gives back the most, especially to the youth, you know, with her world junior finals. And the fact that she is still still doing it today, trying to make her clinics even better than the last one. Mm-hmm. She deserves to have her story told. And I think that um, it also relates to what we're doing here. Like we started off like, you know, like really like small, but we always had like really great guests coming on Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. people who are really inspirational. Like every single person that we had on has really not only um, given everyone else knowledge, but I've changed as a writer since we've been Mm -hmm. doing this podcast. And I feel like you guys probably have as well. Well, yeah, I was going to say even just with the the goals we had with this podcast and our drive to be persistent in it and yes. just to continue looking for more and um, better mm-hmm. interviews and work on ourselves as people and on the podcast. Mm-hmm. It's also inspired me to really have that drive in my barrel racing. I'm yeah. like, I, I've done crazy things with this podcast, like way out of my comfort zone. And so why am I not doing that with my barrel racing? I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, I wish that people could see the amount of work that this podcast Mm -hmm. actually is and to keep driving and keep doing it. Like we just love it. And we hope that you guys are loving it just as much Mm -hmm. as we are. Um, And not only should we thank all of our uh, guests that we have on, but the show wouldn't be anything of if we didn't have our listeners and our yeah. ride or dies like you guys are keeping us like so motivated <laughs> to keep going like and so many positive all, messages and you've all inspired us a ton yes yeah, yeah. Uh, So another thing that I learned from this podcast is that I really want to go to Texas and take a Martha Josie clinic. Yes. Yes. That is our new podcast pod squad goal. That's one of the new podcast goals. We were already making plans, guys. I think uh, (laughs) we should all close our eyes and visualize the world without COVID so we can cross the border. (laughs) So we can have a world without COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my Yeah. If we could cross the border. I mean, does that count as essential travel to go and learn from a legend? Mm -hmm. I think so. We we have an argument at the border. Yes. Wait, where's Lisa Trash? She can fight for us on this one. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no Uh. doubt. So we actually like or discussing maybe like about our previous guests. So there's been a lot of common themes that uh, we find are with our great riders that we have. And a big thing is like positivity and mm-hmm. visualizing your runs and doing all that. Like we're not going to repeat the whole episode because you guys are going to get into that. But just take note 
that that is so, so, so important mm-hmm. from the girls that are running amateur to girls that are just starting to Martha, who has won the world and had been to the NFR so many times. Be positive. Um, take as much feedback as you can from this interview. And we hope you guys love it as much as we love talking to her and her cute little Texas accent. <laughs> yes. Martha is a living, breathing legend, and we are absolutely honored to have her on the Horse Poor podcast. So we want to thank her again for the opportunity. And so without further ado, we are not going to stretch out this intro. We are going to bring you Martha Josie. When I started barrel racing, I had no arena, no cowboy boots, no barrel racing saddle, and no entry fee money. But I hunted up three old trash cans and put them on a little spot on the ground in my grandmother's meadow. This is an excerpt from your book, Run to Win with Me. Martha, we would absolutely love to hear how you started barrel racing. Well, you know, my dad was one of the first directors of the court horse association, and he started bringing horses to our ranch when I was very young. So actually, one of the first times that I ever got on a horse was when I was, I think, about three days old, and loved it. And actually, my first words when Mama or Daddy was, I want a horse. Oh, my goodness. So all through... Until I was 10 years old, my family, we were really, really into horses. And my father had collected uh, 36 mares, one really great stallion. And Mm -hmm. we were really into Quarter Horse Association. And like I said, my dad was one of the first four directors of the Quarter Horse Association. And then he passed away from a heart attack when I was only 10. Oh, no. And my mother ended up selling all of the horses except for one. Oh, wow. And so all through school, I played ball, I played basketball, I played softball, and I really didn't get to ride that much because my mother, you know, she'd already sold all the horses, and I was really in sports. Mm-hmm. But one day, I went to a rodeo when I was a senior in high school. I went to a rodeo in Shreveport, and I was sitting up in watching the grand entry and everything and when the American flag came out I actually started crying because I thought this is so patriotic and I love everything and then when they had the barrel race there was a girl there that I had known her back when I was a young girl and when she came out barrel race it was Faye Ann Leach she was riding a gray horse and that night, when after we went home, I wrote her a letter, and to this day, she said she'd give anything if, if I could tell her about how emotional I was about wanting to barrel race. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was a letter from a young girl, that, and I get these kind of letters all the time now, but how I wanted to barrel race. And so I went home, and my mother had saved one horse, and it name was Jimbo, and he was a stallion. And that next day, I got, that's when I got my dad's old rope and saddle out, and I 
found those barrels, put them up. I've actually got a picture of me running or sitting on that horse that day. Oh, running that first day. But anyway, that's how I got back into barrel racing for boys. And it was kind of like a Cinderella story. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. I've actually got different people that would like me to write a book about this someday about, you know, how many ups and downs and how mm-hmm. I got started and everything. And so anyway, that's kind of in the making. Oh, neat. Oh, that's amazing. I would love to read that. Yeah. Um, so did you start with like some jackpots or like, was there like county fairs that you started entering or when did you like start to like really entering and go? Well, there was actually some little barrel races or play days, they call them, uh, in this area. And I would go to everyone that I could go to. And um, Jimbo, he didn't like to call him a trainer very good. No. Because he would fight a trainer. And so oh. I actually, there were so many towns that weren't that far away that I even rode to the Oh, wow. The- <laughs> That's a good warm-up. And then, of course, the, the really Cinderella story is how that I got my first horse, C.B. Reed. Yeah, yeah, let's hear that. Okay. Um, I had a man by the name of C.B. Reynolds call me, and he said, you're Henry Arthur's daughter. And I said, yes. And he said, well, I know you can ride because Henry Arthur was such a cowboy. And he said, I, I've got this horse. Um, I actually bought a horse from your mother when she sold all of the mares. And this horse's name was Baconary. And I, he said, I bred her to an all thoroughbred horse, Frank's pal. And I've got this horse named C.B. Reed. And he said, I want you to come over and look at him, ride him, and take him home with you. <laughs> and, and I said, Oh, really? I said, I don't even have a trailer or any way to haul. And he said, well, you need to figure out a way. Yeah. So anyway, my mother had a Buick that had 300,000 miles on it. I went and rented a little trailer for $5, and I went over and I actually picked up that horse and took him home. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. And, I, and since my daddy had been in the quarter horse of it, Okay. And at first, I didn't do that good, but I could tell that Stevie had a really good style. He could run to the first barrel as hard as he could, really get on his rear end, pulling the front end. But then he'd run out the arena because this man had kind of trained him on one barrel. Oh. <laughs> but anyway, I kept riding him and training on him, and he started really, really doing good. And I started placing and winning, and I called him, and I said, Mr. Reynolds, what do you want for this horse? And he said, well, I want $5,000. This was back in the early 60s, and I said, 5000 I didn't even have $5. Yeah. (laughs) That was kind of the end of that story, but then I kept winning on winning on. Okay, I said, Mr. Reynolds. Now, how much do you want for that horse? And he said, well, what will you give? <laughs> and I said, I'll tell you what, I'll give 2500 and 
I had traded for three horses, just $100 horses, because I love horses <laughs> all of a sudden. And he said, okay, well, I almost fainted, because here again, I didn't have $25, let alone 2500 <laughs> And I went home that night and told my mother, I said, Mama, I've just bought C.B. Reed for 2500 <laughs> And I said, and I was kind of crying, and she said, honey, I leased my land today for oil for 2500 And she gave me that money, Aww. and I bought the oil. Oh, <laughs> that's so sweet. That is so incredible. That was, you know, that kind of started my career because he was such, you know, and if I brought that horse back today, I think he would still be a winner today. Oh, that's so special. Mm-hmm. So how old was he when you first purchased him? Uh, I was barely out of high school. Oh, okay. okay. And how old was was CB? He was three. Oh, okay. okay. Wow. He was a 1957, and I actually got him in 1960. Oh, okay. And for... In the, Living in the Marshall, Texas area, I, you know, went to a lot of just local rodeos. Okay. And then one day I decided that I would go further and they had a big rodeo at the Kansas City Royal in Kansas City, in which was, that was 600 miles from here. Oh, wow. But I decided to go and... Went to that rodeo on CB, and when I came out of the arena, they said, "Oh, you have just broken the record of the Kansas City Royal, which is real big." And the previous uh, record was held by Jane Mayo, who was a world champion. And for breaking the record, they gave you fifty (laughs) dollars. That was a lot of money. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) a lot of money. Wow. That's amazing. So then I knew I had, yeah, then I knew I had a really good horse. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. Everybody, yeah, everybody started trying to buy him. Oh, really? <laughs> I was going to say he was probably worth a lot more than $2,500 after that. <laughs> yeah. In fact, I had one man hand me a check and say, just fill it out. Wow. Really? Oh my goodness. I'm having too much fun. Yeah. <laughs> you can't a put chance. a price on fun, yeah. that's for sure. So you are the epitome of you can achieve whatever you put your mind to. When and how did you know that your passion was going to become your profession? Well, <clears throat> even in basketball when I played um uh, the first day that I ever went out for basketball, my coach said, do you like to win? And I said, oh, yes. <laughs> and she said, well, you're going to stay after school every day, and, and I'd like for you to make 100 free throws before you go home. And I thought, oh, my gosh, that doesn't sound like it was too hard. But I learned that, and this was this coach really played an important part of my life because She taught me that practice did not make perfect, but perfect practice made perfect. And soon I was making so many free throws, and we were winning so many games that 
I learned right away that, you know, if you focus and you set your mind, uh, you could do anything you wanted. If you wanted it fast enough. Mm-hmm. So early in early in life, I I knew that I w- I just wasn't a dreamer. I wanted it to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the, really, the re- the way that I met my husband, he saw me at a rodeo. Well, it was a roping and barrel racing at Hillsboro, Texas. Aww. And I found out later that he wanted my horse more than he wanted me. For <laughs> real? <laughs> so, <laughs> and he won that roping at Hillsboro, and I won. I actually talked them into the barrel race was Friday and Saturday, and it was two runs on Friday and two on Saturday. I actually talked them into letting me make all four runs on Friday because I wanted to make some other rodeos. Oh, wow. And I ended up winning all four runs. Wow. And I won won about three or four other rodeos on CB that one weekend. Oh, wow. So Ari Josie really wanted my horse. That's incredible. (laughs) So how did he get you then? Well, he got me not too long after that. I actually, when I first started rodeoing on CB, I, I joined the... Texas Barrel Racing Association, which was really, really big and had lots of members back then. And every year they would give away a horse trailer and saddles. And so I ended up winning seven horse trailers on TV. Oh, wow. my goodness. That's and amazing. lots and lots of saddles and everything. But mm-hmm. that was in 64, 65, 66, and 67. I won the Texas Barrel Racing Association, and okay. Ari and I got married in 1966, and that's okay. when we started the Josie World Champion Rodeo School. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're so excited to ask you about that a little later on. So with all those trailers and extra saddles, did you go out and buy yourself some more horses? <laughs> well, <clears throat> after CD, he was... He was such a Cadillac to ride, and he, he just, every place I went, I could win first, almost, and when, after he really started slowing down, I, I actually joined the professional ranks in 68 and 69, and the reason that I didn't do it sooner than that, because in 1966, I won 12000 I know the penny, seven. Uh, $12,723 wow. that year. Hmm. And in the professional ranks that same year, I think they won, oh, a little bit over 6000 hmm. Oh, And wow. I was able to stay um, rodeo within 20, you know, 200 miles from the house. Mm-hmm. And oh, so yeah. I had a lot of people say, why aren't you going to join the professional? And one of them was Kenneth Springer, the real popular rodeo photographer he's been with the in the rodeo for years and he'd always say you're wasting this horse and I said no I'm not wasting him I'm making a good living yeah, yeah. seriously so I, I did decide to go ahead and join in 1968 and I made the finals the first year on CB and I think I probably could have won the world championship that first year mm-hmm. but he was at a rodeo, and 
coming out of the arena, he hit something in the alleyway and did a flip in the air. <gasps> and we really had a really bad accident that time here. Oh, um, okay. That's but very we overcame it. We mm-hmm. made the final that year, 68, 69. And he did start to kind of start to slow down then because I had really rodeoed hard mm-hmm. for the past 10 years. Oh, wow. Okay. And yeah. when I started trying to replace him, and you said, buy other horses, there were no other horses like no. him that I could find. Yeah. No. It sounds like one I, I would buy a couple, and then I'd think, they're <laughs> not for me. And I'd, I'd end up selling them to somebody else. Yeah. And then in 1977, we were at a clinic in Kansas. And a girl ran this horse. It was my clinic, but she ran this horse, and he kind of had trouble getting over for the second barrel, kind of like Stevie did. But anyway, Josie said that night, he said, you better look at that bay horse. And I said, oh, really? He said, yeah, I really like him. Well, any time that Ari and Josie ever likes a horse, you better go look at him. Yeah. He really knows how to pick winners. Yeah, and I found out that a lot later. But anyway, that day I I finally I didn't even know this girl's name, and it was Saturday night. The clinic was over on Sunday, and we were staying at a hotel with lots of rooms. And I went up down the motel that night, knocking on doors and saying, "Do you have a bay horse?" (laughs) (laughs) Most of them didn't, and. Then, um, it was about 5 o'clock in the morning, a truck started right outside the motel room, and I was still awake because I was thinking about that horse. Josie was asleep. And I looked out the window, and it was that girl. And (laughs) I opened up the door and motioned for her to come, and I said, do you own that bay horse? And she said, yes. And I said, well, is he for sale? She said, yeah, but I'm not going to give him away. Yeah. Said, oh really? How much? Said seventy five hundred. Mm-hmm. And I called her in, wrote a check, and by the time Josie woke up that morning, we owned Sunny Bitabo. Oh cool. <laughs> and that is the horse and, uh, that made history, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And he still holds the record of being the only horse in history right now to win the American Quarter Horse Association. And the Women's Rodeo Association in the same year. Wow. It's hard mm-hmm. to make both associations at the same year. Yeah. But to actually win both. No doubt. So that was, you know, kind of history. I I made, I actually bought him in March of 77, made the finals on him that year. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. Wow. That was fast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And ended up made the finals on him in 77, 78, 79. Oh, wow. Hmm. And 81. That's amazing. Actually, I made, I, this was in 78. I made the finals in 78, 79, 80, and 81, and won the world on him in 80. Keep your horse feeling good and looking good with Tyler Robinson at Dynamic Equine. Tarla now has the updated Beamer blanket that even comes with Beamer booties. 
I'm so excited for Joe to finally be able to try the new blanket. And she gets to use it for a week and a half. A week and a half? Does she offer that kind of service? Yeah, I just bring her over, haul her over, or she also, depending where you are, if she's already making a trip, she'll take your horse with her. And she'll just work on them every day, sometimes twice a day, just depending on what you want. That's awesome. And if you guys listen back to the episode with Tarla, you'll find all the amazing benefits that the Beamer actually offers. Dynamic Equine also offers Trisana nutrition supplements. And I personally have had a great experience with Trisana supplements. I've talked to the nutritionist on the other end, and they actually did a custom blend of herbs for my two horses. One's a little more hormonal. The other one's a little more ulcer prone. So I have a specific powder for each of them, and I just take a scoop out of each bag for each horse every day, and that's that. And the best thing is, if you tell Tarla Horse Poor sent you, she'll give you 10% off Beamer treatments and the Trisana products. For more updates, info, and pictures, be sure to follow Tarla on Facebook and Instagram at Dynamic Equine. So um, those are two amazing horses that really helped pave your way to success. Do you have any other horses um, that you would like to mention? Oh, I've had so many great horses that I that I really love. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'll just mention them. Uh, one was a horse named uh, Twin Sir Bug. And this is the horse that I ended up going to the Winter Olympics on at Calgary, Canada. Yes. And I also made the finals on him in, in 1987. Wow. Oh, okay. He was really a, a great horse. Lots of, lots of drive lots of um, he was an aggressive little horse that could run turn and win yeah and then another horse that I rode that was the great orange smash and he did not belong to me he belonged to a friend and I leased him and I made I made the NFR on him in 88 and 89 and then another horse that I had had was a horse named Mr. Revolution Bars okay. made the finals on him, Holy. and he he ended up being one of the, the greats also. And I I got to be on the Wheaties box, and I rode a horse <laughs> really? that belonged yeah, to one of my students. In fact, my first school was here in 1967, and she came to my second school in 1968. And her name is Sue Verona. And she actually had a horse that was really good at my school. But after she was here, she went home and trained the great horse, Joby Jammon, that I ended up leasing and winning a lot of money. Wow. And then I've got to tell you about one other favorite. And I had many, many, many. (laughs) I also... Went to a lot of faturities and had okay. several horses that went and did good at the faturity. But I rode a horse named Red Man Bay. And I ended up, I actually bought him for a granddad for him to put his granddaughter on. And okay. her name is Blaze Berthashaw. But I, with the idea that I could get to ride him the first year, which was in 2004. And I went really, really hard. But that was the year that I got hurt really bad at Austin. So 
So mm-hmm. I didn't get to make the NFR. And I was trying for my fifth decade. We heard or watched that you made the NFR in, in four different decades. How many trips have you made it to the NFR as a competitor? Actually, I went 11 different times. Wow. And the only year that I really had a goal of trying to win the of winning the world was in 1980. Okay. And the one reason that I really thought that I wanted to win it that year, um, another girl that had won the world before, she had told me, she said, if you win the first rodeo of the year, you should try to win the world. Oh. And I did. I won the first rodeo of the year, which was Kansas City. So I knew, uh-oh. This is my sign. Yeah. I need to go try to win it. And so I did that. That was in 1980. Very cool. Wow. Uh, 11 times to the NFR. And I, and one reason I didn't go more probably is because we were so busy having school. Yes. Yeah. And you know, our school started in 1967. And that first year that we had the first year school, we had two or three girls that ended up going to the National Finals Rodeo. That's, That's so, so cool. Yeah. And that speaks volumes. Yes. That, you know, I've always said, when you win, we win. So yeah. mm-hmm. Josie and I together, you know, we've had so many winning students that we're so proud of. Can you share the foundation of your training program that created the base to such success and consistency? Well, the main thing, uh, if you have a student that wants to, uh, I think one thing about our school, we put a lot of positive thinking in it, Mm -hmm. how to organize, how to focus, um, and how really how to communicate with your horse mm-hmm. um, from I think because of playing basketball, it really helped me to know that how to you know how to communicate with a basketball, <laughs> but how to communicate with your horse. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's the main thing. Um, having a student that wants to you know one of my first students um, was Mary Walker. And she was 14 the first time that she came and ended up, you know, portraying her championship. And she's, you know, been a great winner, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But kind of got her start here. And, of course, Lynn McKenzie, she was a world champion. Mm -hmm. She started here. The first time that she ever came to the ranch, she didn't even have a, hardly a horse. Oh. And she came to clean stalls. Oh. And just to help me, well, she was doing so good, I actually got her to sing an instructor. And I taught her how to look for the right horse. Mm-hmm. And here came Magnolia Missile. And the people wanted to sell him as a young horse. She said, I'll take him. Of course, she kind of made history, too. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. 
so many different uh, trainers and clinicians have different styles. Um, so do you have like kind of a specific style you like your horses to be running on a pattern? Do you prefer when they're a little bit more straighter or more bent or what do you, or how do you like to pattern them? Well, I like a horse that I can really push Yeah, because I like a pushing horse. Um, one that I can send them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Josie said, send them mm-hmm. because you can't win thing by loping. Yes. I like a horse that can really, I can really send them. Mm -hmm. And I've had so many different horses that I have not tried to train them all to my style. Yeah. I would take the style of the horse because every, almost every horse that I've ridden has been a little bit different. Yeah. And had, had, there's no way that I could have had a horse, all horses, and trained them like I did CB mm-hmm. because he was, he did not have a lick of bend in his neck whatsoever. No. And he was very, very high headed. Mm-hmm. But he could run so fast to a barrel, gather in his rear end, bend in the rib cage, and he would slide behind and pull in front. And he would, he had an extraordinary style. Yeah. And and then my next great horse was Sonny Benabo, and he would he was the very opposite. He would run to a barrel, give his nose, and do a lot of bending. Mm-hmm. You know, he would run around a barrel. Yeah. And instead of running around a barrel, uh, Stevie would slide. That's cool. cool. Yeah. So all of my horses were a little bit different. But one thing that I loved in a horse, um, the main thing that I look for is heart. Yes. Mm-hmm. So all of your horses have been a very different style, and you adjusted your riding to them. But is there a specific drill that you like to do with them on the pattern uh, that all worked really well for them? Um, just kind of like your favorite go-to drill. Okay. Um, I like. To, I probably spend a lot of time doing a lot of slow work, yeah. And because I want them to be very, very automatic, mm-hmm. and I want them to run to a barrel and know that they're supposed to gather up and turn when they get there. And I like to, I like to give a horse some room at the first barrel so they can turn, do some of their turning. As they're getting into that barrel and not spend a lot of time on the backside. Okay. And then on the second, third barrel, I really train a horse to go all the way up into the turn. Mm-hmm. And not, I want them to do, not do a bunch of ducking and diving, mm-hmm. you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, when you're going fast, you can always find something that you might could correct more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But. And that's any, even every horse that goes to the NFR, you know. But when you're running, when you're going fast, you you try to get the most out of every run. Mm-hmm. But in slow work, you can do everything perfect. Yes. Yeah. So I always did a lot of, of really slow work because I didn't want to run past barrels yeah. and I didn't want to hit barrels. Mm-hmm. 
And by slow work, do you mean a majority of uh, walking and trotting or, or that means like, you know, just collected loping as well? Yes. Uh, a lot of walk, just walk back in great pattern. Mm-hmm. And then I like to trot to walk around. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Lope to and trot around. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. And coast to and lope around. Mm-hmm. And I usually break a horse down, you know, in my slow work at the barrel so that they know exactly where they're supposed to gather. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. Do you like to do a lot of off-pattern work around the barrels? Yes. Yes, I do. Um, I, You know, just gathering up a horse and and teaching them to give to the bridle and give to the bit and just walking them and teaching them to, you know, slow down. And mm-hmm. I, I really put a lot of emphasis on getting a horse to use their rear end. Yeah. And to gather up and how to, you know, I want a good stop on a horse. Mm-hmm. And here again, if you've got that good stop, they're usually going to use that rear end. Mm-hmm. A lot in the turn. And, but I also like a lot of bend. Yeah. And a lot of flex. Because we, you've got the bend and the flex and you've got, you know, any habits that might come up or if they do something wrong, they're easier to fix. Yeah. And I want a really good handle on my horse. Mm-hmm. Soft. Soft and broke for sure. So you talked a little bit about um, how you create a positive mentality for yourself on your horse, but how do you create um, a mentality for a horse to work well under pressure? Because those big rodeos are pressure situations. And is there a way that we can um, prepare our horses for that kind of pressure at home? Well, I think most of it comes through the, the body of the person too. We put a lot of pressure on ourselves, mm-hmm. and we let it relate out into our horses. So the first thing that we need to learn how to do is handle pressure ourselves. And then we can make our horses handle the pressure so much easier. Yes. Um, staying calm and, you know, being real motivated. And, and I, I always get ready for a run and focus on what to do and I always think about seeing a perfect pattern Yes. before I ever enter the arena. And I visualize the run that I want to make. And if for some reason that run isn't as good as I want, well, I know exactly how I can come home and, and work it out, go back to the basics. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. So, Visualizing that perfect run and knowing, you know, a lot of people, I think they've never really felt that perfect run. Yeah, that is very true. Mm -hmm. And from being on TV, I knew how it was supposed to feel. And so on my other horses, I wanted that feel. Yeah. Yeah. So for those people who have never felt that perfect run, do you think it's good for them maybe just to watch some really good runs, even if it's not their own runs, just watch very successful people to try and maybe figure it out? 
and be able to visualize those runs? Oh, I think that is definitely a, a help. And you always want to watch winners. Yeah. Yes. That's, yes. One thing, that's one thing that I always studied uh, with different people, athletes going to the Olympics, because mm-hmm. you know that they work so hard right. for so many years yes. to get to the Olympics. And they've dedicated, you know, so I like to not just watch other girl racers, but other athletes. Yes, that's what, a really good thing. What did thing they do? Yeah. yeah. What did they? What did they do for exercise? What did they mm-hmm. eat? What did they? You know, study winners. Yeah. I, I actually have a friend that he plays in the NHL. And so when he was going to the gym, there was a little girl that would work out beside him. And she was actually a professional show jumper. And he said that she worked harder than the NHL hockey players. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. She would outwork them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So did uh, or does health and fitness play a big role in your in your rodeo career? Did you focus a lot on... Uh, trying to get exercise, or did you get that enough with your horses? And then what about eating and eating on the road as well? Oh, I did all of it to the best that I could. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I always studied, you know, what to eat, what, you know, the best exercise. Okay. And you get a lot of exercise by just riding, but not near enough. Yeah. And it's important, you know, a lot of people, when you're barrel racing, You've got to be an athlete. Mm-hmm. All right, sure does help to, to want to be an athlete. And you can take a person that might not be as athletic, but if they got the want to, they can do it. Yes. Yeah. Hey, Rider Dyes, if you haven't already, make sure you check out OE Nutraceuticals in Canada for clinically proven and tested supplements. And be sure to use our code HORSEPOR for 10% off. All right. Well, in typical horse poor podcast fashion, we'd like to talk a little bit about horse shopping. What's appealing to you when looking for a prospect? And how did you choose those special horses in your lineup, the ones that make tough rodeo horses? Well, one thing, I uh, just sit back and look at a horse. And you need to be able to look at him to say, can this horse perform the job that I'm asking him do. And so you want to look for a lot of balance. Okay. And if you look at those great horses in the past and you look at confirmation, most of them look the part. You know, yeah. they look like they can do it. So yeah. that was always something that I would look for is lots and lots of balance. And low hocks, you know, they've got to get on their rear end. So you don't want a high-hocked horse. Mm-hmm. You want low hocks, and you want that rear end that doesn't need to be sticking out behind them. It needs, when they're standing still, you can almost look at the way they're they're built. Yeah. And, of course, then, you know, if they're young, take them to the round pen. Watch them move. Mm-hmm. Because a, barrel, a good barrel horse has got to be a good mover. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And, you know, how how they can sit down and can they catch their leads, you know. Um, are, do they, you know, you can ride them. 
and lope them in some circles until I can tell if I really like them by loping. It's mm-hmm. just, you know, and moving them and turning them around. They feel balanced too. Yes. You know, good legs because good legs and good feet because it is the barrel pattern in the, some of the different arenas that you have to go to. You've got to have good legs and good feet. So mm-hmm. I would definitely start out with that. Is there a certain bloodline that you see nowadays that you really would love to swing a leg over? You know, there's so many good ones now. (laughs) So many. (laughs) Yeah, there's so many good ones. Uh, I couldn't even name all the good ones. (laughs) But they all go back. A lot of them go back to that good old foundation, you know. Yeah, they do. They do. And, you know, back when I first started, they were not breeding for barrel horses. Mm-hmm, right. Yeah. You know, you you never even thought about looking at bloodlines that much. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, my two greatest horses, C.B. Reed, was by an all-thoroughbred sire. Really? Out of the quarter mare. Wow. And then Sonny Bittabos was by uh, an all-thoroughbred sire, Bittabos, out of a quarter horse mare. Mm, so, wow. You know, and those were two of my greatest. Mm-hmm. So, but there's so many good bloodlines today. Yeah. And there's so much good breeding out there. And, of course, I love the cutting bread. I love the running and the cutting bread. Yeah. Yeah. Mix those two together you and you got to run. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because a... Cow doesn't live in a tree, and a barrel doesn't live in a tree. So you've got <laughs> got to have that horse that can, you know, has that headset. Yes. Yeah. And here again, here again, if I had looked at CB just for that, I would have passed him by because he was very high-headed. Yeah. And he his neck would never bend. It would it always stayed straight. Hmm. But he was such an athlete. So throughout your successful rodeo career, what are some of your favorite rodeos that you ran at? Oh, there were probably many, but one uh, on Orange Smash, I had never gone that much to the northwest, and that's the big, wide, open area. There are no fences, and on Orange Smash, I won uh, Ellensburg, Washington, mm-hmm. uh, Walla Walla, Washington, and Tiala, all in the, about a 10 to 14-day range. Okay. Wow. And they were all big, wide, open arenas. <laughs> and those were some of my favorites because I, down in Texas, you know, you've got a lot of standard patterns. Mm-hmm. you got quite a few indoor arenas, but when you go to the Northwest, you better be ready to have a turning horse. Yeah. <laughs> he's got to be able to run, but he's got to be able to turn, you know. Yeah. But one of my favorite rodeos, and I did win, was uh, Salinas, California. 
And one reason I loved it so much the year I won it, uh, every barrel racer that is entered runs every day okay. for three days. And it's on a racetrack, and it's oh. a really narrow little arena mm-hmm. because it's on the racetrack. Mm-hmm. And then after you go and you, your average is real good and you go to short go on Sunday, that particular year, we ran in the big outdoor arena, and Sunny won that, and oh, that cool. was very special. Mm-hmm. And then special. another special rodeo that I went to was I had just bought a horse, and that I, I picked him out to like we were talking about. He had not won a whole bunch because this little girl had only gone to Jim Kenna's. Okay. And, and had not rodeoed much, but her brother brought him brought him to my junior world and did really really good on him. Mm-hmm. And I ended up buying him because I thought he could really rodeo. And I ended up taking the first rodeo that I took it to was Reno, Nevada, and we won both goes in the average. Oh, cool! And so that was a real good payday. Yeah. <laughs> another one of my really favorite rodeos right here in Texas was Mesquite. And it's been going on for years. When it first started and when I first started, it was outdoors on the worst black dirt in the world. (laughs) And then they moved it and now it's inside to a really nice building, good ground. And it it goes on all summer. It's always been one of my favorites. That's awesome. So what was one of the toughest pens you have to run in? Well, one of the toughest, it wasn't for me necessarily, but was the Houston Astrodome. Because you had to enter kind of from a funny angle, Mm. an alleyway that wasn't really an alleyway, it was an opening. And then almost, horses that everybody thought would turn would actually kind of run off at the hmm. Astrodome. Oh. And I always loved to go there because my horses would always, I knew how to handle the, the opening and how to get to that first barrel good and I always did really, really good there. And that's one of the, the great rodeos of all time. They don't have it at the Astrodome now, but they still got a nice arena at Houston. Yeah, that one's a huge arena. Yes. But I really didn't have any arenas that were that hard Mm -hmm. because I just kind of knew how to handle different grounds, different arenas, and had horses that, you know, I thought could handle anything. Yeah. Yeah. Probably one of the hardest places to run is the NFR. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That alleyway looks yeah. scary. <laughs> I, I cringe every yeah. time I see them run and, like, my knee, like, when they enter that alleyway, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, I hope no one hits yeah. their knee. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, when I made the NFR on Orange Smash, he was six over 16 hands Ooh. and weighed about over 1,200. He was a big wow. horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so to make the national finals on a horse like that and then you know, you have to, but he was good. He ended up winning uh, a go-round and placing a lot 
so even though it wasn't his pen, he still learned how to do it, you know. Yeah. So mm-hmm. If you've got a horse that can run at the NFR, you know, when you get there, that's good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> With a lot of money. Yeah. But <laughs> my thing, I always wanted, I didn't want to have to buy a horse that for big pens for the, you know, it's hard to say, um, I got to have a horse that will run big outdoors like the Northwest. Or then I want a horse that will only run in buildings. My thing, I, and I think that I've been really lucky, almost every horse that I ever campaigned, campaigned could run indoors, outdoors, big, little, hard ground, soft ground. Mm-hmm. And I was just really lucky. Or fortunate, or ghost helped me find those horses, most of them, and, you know, they were just, you know, I can name off most of my favorites, well, all of my favorites, mm-hmm. and they could actually do everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. So I, I doubt it was all luck, though, like you're obviously a very accomplished trainer and jockey, but with your schools, do you, do you see some horses and students come through there where, where you do believe that you know, there is kind of indoor and outdoor horses. And maybe what is your advice to people that, you know, might have a horse that seems like it's really good indoors, but not so good outdoors or vice versa. Um, do you believe like a lot of that can be fixed just with a lot of commitment and adjustment and training? I think it can. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, especially if you've got a, a horse that can win everything indoors and, you know, you want to teach them outdoors, too, in bigger space. Um, I like to teach a horse to run and turn a barrel and not to look at fences. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And what's your biggest tip to so that, accomplish that? Like hunting the barrel, even if there's no fences there? Putting the want to. You know, the horse will never get the how-to until they've got the want-to. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And keeping that want-to. And, and I think that, you know, the motivation of the person, um, and that's one thing that we really teach at our school is how to be positive. But if you're positive, you've got that force that can be positive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. you want to you keep that want-to. Yes. So speaking of arenas as well, going back to that uh, first part of the question, we would love to hear about your appearance at the 1988 Olympics hosted in Calgary, Alberta. Was barrel racing ever considered an Olympic sport or how did that come to be? Okay, in that particular uh, year, 1988, because Calgary is such a rodeo town. Yeah. When they decided to have the Olympics there, they actually wanted to put rodeo in to the Olympics. Oh, that's cool. Rightfully so. Yeah. (laughs) We deserve to be there. And so that was the, you know, the greatest time of our life, I think, because that was one of the biggest thrills of my life, because I had really watched the Olympics a lot before, and I was always kind of strict with the Olympians, Mm -hmm. and so, at the NFR in 1987, um, 
after the rodeo that night, uh, we were in the motel, and Joe Beaver was up at the counter, and I walked up and said, Joe, what are you doing? He said, I'm entering the Olympics. I said, the Olympics? How? <laughs> and he said, well, it depends on how we ended up at the NFR. First, second, and third go get to go to the Olympics. I said, oh, my gosh, I'm in that. And oh, so wow. that was how we ended up going to the Olympics. Oh, my gosh. And I ended up taking a Swincer Bug, and I had a backup horse. And my backup horse, I ended up loaning him to somebody in Canada to finish the runs on. Really? So, you know, yeah. And that was one of the greatest things. Um, They actually made, we got medals. We got to be uh, out in front of 100,000 people when they awarded all the medals. Oh, cool. And that was, you know, just a really highlight. And it really showed a lot of people what rodeo was all about. And to look Mm -hmm. back at who was on our team and on the Canada team, um, golly, there were so many that went on to excel today. And one of them that I love that went to the Olympics with with us was Lane Frost. Oh, oh wow! Cool. Oh my, that made, that gave me chills. Of course, Louis Fields was on there, and it even today in in my trophy room, over the top of my barn, that I've got a really special place for my medals mm-hmm. and all the pictures of all the Olympians because they were so special. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure, for sure. So, what did you think of our Canadian winters? that in the summer? At the no, winter. winter? Yeah, because the Olympics were in the winter, uh, I believe, right? Or yeah. did you guys come up in the winter? Actually, it was pretty nice. Yeah? <laughs> While we were there, yeah, it was pretty nice. And, uh, we were, the first day there, the most fun thing I did was get on my horse and walk out among all the Olympians that were there in other events. Mm-hmm. And first one I walked up, he had warm-ups on, and he was doing the events. And I said, oh, what event are you with? He said, Russia Goldie. I said, oh, my golly. (laughs) And so I got to go watch the Germans and the Russians um, in hockey that night. Oh, Oh, and that was so much fun. And then Brian Volcano was the the ice skater that won so much that year. Yes. And but it was really and the friends that we made from Canada, you know, we're still really friends. We don't get to see them near enough, but mm-hmm. we got to make a lot of really great friends. Yeah. That's Olympics, amazing. The Olympics was great. So speaking of making friends up in Canada, there's a few amazing horsemen and horsewomen up here that we actually are pretty close with. Do you know Mel Highland or Dee Butterfield? Yes. Yeah? We actually only live an hour and a little bit from Mel. We go see him quite often. Yes, and there's just so many great. And, of course, the Walters. Okay. Yeah. 
I got to run against them at the with at the Olympics, and we stayed in contact. And they came down to my junior world and loved talking to Oscar Walter. In fact, um, a really good story was in when I was riding Orange Smash. He wasn't winning as much as I wanted him to, and Oscar was. I got him to come and shoot him. And he shot him, and that night at the rodeo, I broke one of the arena records there, and it was a standard pattern. Oh, gosh. Okay. I can't remember exactly what I run, but it was really an outstanding time. And so I even I would call him and get him to come all the way down to Texas to shoe my horse. Oh, wow. wow. <laughs> oh, boy. So, we love hearing about some back-in-the-day rodeo stories. Do you have any favorite memories offhand you can share with us on the rodeo trail? Oh. <laughs> You've shared a lot with there's us. Been, <laughs> yeah, there's been so many. One of my favorites was the year that over the 4th of July, I was up at Cody, Wyoming in mm -hmm. the morning. I was up at Red Lodge. Montana that afternoon and Livingston, Montana that night. Oh, wow. wow. So three rodeos in one day. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> goodness. And I did really, yeah, I did really good. But, oh, golly, there's been so many good memories. And mm -hmm. the only thing when we rodeoed, Josie would say, you know, we never, you don't have too much time to smell the roses while you're out of the rodeo. <laughs> yeah, probably <laughs> not. You have a lot of, the, the most fun thing is visiting with people and going out to eat and sharing memories. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We actually got very lucky and we got all given a rodeo journal um, by HB Barrel Racing Planners. And I feel like it's almost very important to almost write down those memories so when you're yeah. a little older, you don't forget. Um mm -hmm. I think that's maybe something we should all start doing is just jotting down like how we did and how the friends that we made or the people we mm -hmm. talked to and, and just keeping those memories with us wherever we go. And I, I did a lot of that because yeah. every time I went to any rodeo, I would write down what I did at the arena. If mm -hmm. I liked the good ground, if I wanted to go back, what my time was and everything, mm -hmm. how much mm -hmm. money yeah. I was. Yeah. So I kept a lot of those kind of memories. And now, you know, we're we're just as busy right now as we've ever been. Yeah. In oh, fact, boy. we just wow. through. Now, we actually had uh, four clinics this year. We had to move some of the dates. I actually had my um, Easter clinic on the fourth of July. Oh, okay. yeah. So instead of Easter eggs, we had fireworks. <laughs> yeah, and for then, sure. We had to change our reunion, which is for former students at our junior world. We had to uh, reschedule those. Mm -hmm. And when we finally got to have them, everybody was so happy to have mm -hmm. them. And then next week, uh, I actually have a clinic here at the ranch. Oh, cool. And it's back my summer clinic. And, you know, we're always looking for new ways to make things more fun and Mm -hmm. teach everybody more but the main thing that our, at our clinic 
from the we always start out with one run the first night. Sometimes I kind of cringe because the horses are maybe too much on the muscle, you know, not on the ground enough. And then by the end of the clinic, you can tell such a difference. Yeah. And it's usually because they've been wet saddle blankets. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And lots of good basic work. So are you, are you still coaching the Josie clinics today, or do you have a little bit of help when doing that? Oh, I've had help for years. Yeah. Uh, one of our faculty is Ty Mitchell. Of course, he started here when he was, when he came to the Jude World when he was eight, and he's still here today, and that was in 1981, and oh, he's wow. still helping us. Wow. My nephew, Gary Arthur, I've got a girl named Ashley that's helping me now. And so, but Josie and I both are very active. In -hmm. fact, on Sunday morning, I start out with the horsemanship, and we talk about how to get ready for the run, how to warm up your horse, and I'm on a horse, and then we take a bike route, Mm -hmm. and then we have church service on Sunday, and the final run, so our clinics are you don't come to them unless you want lots of saddle time. Yeah, that's awesome. We would that's love sh- to come to one that's one how day. It should be. <laughs> yeah. Well, I want you to. Yeah, yeah, we would love to. Love to, love to. If we can and finally cross I the border. That, <laughs> yeah, and I think you can learn a lot from clinics. Yes. Because I always, and I think that's what kept me going for so long is by actually, you know, teaching yeah. Mm-hmm. So since we're on the topic of your ranch, um, can you tell us a little bit about everything you offer there? How about what? Just everything you offer at the ranch. Is a question maybe? Oh, okay. We've got a covered arena. Mm-hmm. We've got an outdoor arena. And... The standard pattern on the outdoor, it's about about a second off from the the standard WTRA pattern. You know, okay. that pattern, anytime you can run a 16-something or 17-no, that's really, really great, or 17-1. Our pattern is just about a second slow, uh, quicker or if you can run a 15 on this pattern or 16-0 or 16-1 or 2. So it's about a second oh, yeah. difference. Okay. But then we've got a big outdoor area to work also. We've got the funnel barrel set up. We've got a western store. And the reason that we built a western store the first year we had our school, if somebody would break something, you know, we'd have to take them to town. Oh. So now we've had our own store and uh, we've got our own line of bits, our own line of saddles and right now in front of the barrel barrel horse news is a girl and her name is Wendell Johnson and she's in the top 15 right now and she's riding one of my saddles called the Martha Josie Cash and um, so we love the western store Yeah, we always try to keep the best Horse equipment and training, anything to train with. And bits, I love bits. 
And even though there's thousands of bits out there, there's only a few that really, really, really work. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us what you think those few are? Well, one of our favorites has been the the combination bit. We call it the million-dollar bit. And the reason we call it the million dollars because it's one million of dollars with Burmores. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the rope over the nose. It's got three-piece uh, dog bone in the mouth. And one reason it works so good because you can get a little bit bad-handed and it still works because it works in so many different places on the nose, in the mouth, on the skin. And, but it, it works, you know, a lot of horses, well, just a little bit on the nose, and this is one reason it's so good there. But then we've got other bits that really, really work good. Jackie Joe Perrin uh, won the world several years ago, and Josie took the bit that she used, changed it up just a little bit. It's called our go-round bit, okay. and lots of people are winning with that bit. Uh, it's got a straight mouthpiece or a little bit of a groove in it, and it just works a mm-hmm. lot more. Mm-hmm. And I'm I'm a firm believer in finding what works and sticking with it. And when it doesn't work, I'm looking. Yeah, you know. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I actually just ordered the million dollar bit from the Josie Western store on Wednesday or Thursday. I think. <laughs> We're all going to have to order I know. One. I was going to say, we're all going to be trying it out. Yeah. yeah. Well, good. And, um, and do y'all happen to have my tape that Perina made? Yes. Yes. I I was watching it. I sent we it cried. to the girls, and I was like, hey, I have tears streaming down yes. my face right now. We all cried. <laughs> well, this is another thing, you know, that we teach at our clinics is how to look for good sponsors and how to, you oh. know, how to get a good sponsor and then how to take care of them. Yeah, that's a good that's We need to learn Perina. that too. Yeah, we do. Yeah. Perina has been one of my really great sponsors. MVP has been phenomenal um, because the people that own that, they are always looking for the best way to take care of horses. And the six, uh, mm-hmm. Exceed six way has done so good. Mm-hmm. Of course, I love my saddles and circle yeah. Yes. And the bits. Yes. But, you know, taking care of your good sponsors is, you know, so important. Yeah, yeah it is. Definitely. And we'll be sure to actually tag all, all of those companies in our show notes when mm-hmm. we release this episode yeah. as well. We will for sure. Great. Wonderful. Um, so tell us a little bit about your saddles. I know I just sat in your new style, uh, at actually a tax store we have up North here. And not only did I love how it felt, I love how beautiful it was. Like it would, the, the little feathers and stuff that you had on it, it's designed so pretty. Uh, so yeah. Can you tell us about how you designed it and maybe how it makes a rider feel? Okay. I've been with Circle Y for several years. Mm Mm-hmm. And they've been really good in meeting with me anytime. But, you know, from the very beginning, the main thing we wanted was a saddle that would fit a lot of different horses. Yes. And because everybody doesn't, can't go out buy a saddle, you know, and have it made just for that particular horse. So we wanted a saddle that would fit a lot of horses. 
Mm-hmm. And we we took that tree and just worked it until we got it exactly perfect. And it will fit 90% of all the horses. But I put a, a horn on it that you can wrap your hand around and so that you can push, pull up, and push down really good. Mm-hmm. But the front end of my saddle is important because you want something that if the horse drops on their rear end, you're not going to get broke forward. Yeah, but the yeah. main thing is we put a pocket seat in it so that you can really sit down deep and you, you've got a, the back of the saddle that will hold you but will not kick you forward in the mm-hmm, turn. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You don't okay. want something that's going to kick you forward. Yeah. yeah. And then we got what we call the forward hung stirrup. And they are actually on a swivel. And this is something coming like from the old Monty Foreman tree. And it really, really works. Uh, you can get your feet behind you, but you can get it forward. Mm-hmm. And your feet will go wherever you want to. Mm-hmm. Yes. Okay. And then we just recently we put the rider buckle on, which is the safety of the, of the you know, back in the old days, uh, we would have to wrap our our buckle on the stirrup feathers with the Velcro to keep them from coming loose. Now oh. with this rider buckle, <laughs> they're guaranteed they just won't come. Oh, good. Oh, wow. <laughs> but the pocket seat, you know. And finding, I, I think the main thing, too, is finding the saddle that fits you. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, because a 14 is too small for me. A 15 is too big. That's why my saddles come in half sizes. Yeah. yeah. And I actually ride a 14. Okay. Um, and, you know, finding the right saddle. I would say... A lot of people are, might be riding saddles that might be too small. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people think, I'm going to buy a small saddle because it makes me feel small. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's why the cutters and the ropers, and a lot of times you can get the cut saddle or a roping saddle and run barrels better than you can a, a real tight barrel saddle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, yeah. And so it's real important. And then just recently, we had come out with a lightweight stuff, and it weighs oh. under 20 pounds. Oh, wow. And it's also the lightweight. Mm-hmm. And it's got a real tree in it. And okay. we're having a lot of luck with that. That's awesome. But, you know, if, if your saddle is a leather saddle and it's built good and, you know, you don't want it to be over heavy, but yeah. you want it to feel like it's under you. Yes. Yeah, yeah. You want a lot of security because we're riding fast running horses. Definitely. So that yeah. saddle, that saddle really means a lot. So we have talked about so many successes that you've had throughout your career, um, but we also 
do know that you have had some some adversities and also a very serious accident that occurred in 1988 that we thought we should definitely touch on. Um, this accident was so bad to the point that you were told that you might not even be able to walk again. Can you share this story, how it happened, and how it shaped you today? Okay. Actually, I've had three or four. Oh. oh. The first one was in 1968 on TV when I was coming, running out of the arena. I act there with a, you know, how a, a gate will have over the top and then it'll be at the bottom too. Oh, yeah. 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 Hit that. Ooh. And he did a flip in the air, and I had a brain concussion. And oh, no. We ended up out in California, and actually, um, a girl named Nelda Carmichael, she, I had gone from, well, I actually was, when I got through that rodeo, I went to Baton Rouge and tried to compete. And I'd go, I'd win, I'd go around, then I'd mess up. And I'd ask Josie, I said, why did they why did they flag me out? And he said, you didn't even make the pattern. And I said, oh, I did too. And then we went to San Angelo. I won the first go, the second go. I went to turn the second barrel, but it wasn't around the barrel. And then I came out and I said, Josie, they flagged me out. He said, you didn't make the pattern. So anyway, <sighs> we went on out to California. I was, I'd win one and then I'd do something really crazy. So anyway, Josie, um, Miss Nelda Carmichael, she said, how are you doing after your accident? I said, oh, I'm doing so good. And I was actually <laughs> pouring a cup down the front of my blouse. Oh, oh my. Oh, my gosh. Actually, and Josie said, uh-oh, I need to take her home. <laughs> and so that that year I ended up making the top 15 on CD, but I, pro- I probably could have been the world champion. No kidding. Yeah, no kidding. And then the next time that I got hurt was right after I won the world in 1980. I was doing a video training tape here at the ranch. And I was on a three-year-old. And, you know, I always say, don't ride young horses unless you're really watching everything they do. Mm-hmm. Because you can't get hurt. And I had gotten on this horse and he did great. I was showing how to start a young horse. And all of a sudden, I just touched him wrong, and he started bucking and threw me in our arena. And that was the time that I, my pelvis was broken all the way around. Oh, my god! And goodness. I had a right arm that looked like it wasn't even part of my arm. Oh. And that was the year that they told me that I would never ride again. Hmm. And I, I would probably never walk again, but I definitely would never ride again. Oh and I gosh. was in a wheelchair for quite a while. And actually, I had the book too, and I would get, Josie made me a, a leg to exercise CD, and we would, I'd be in my wheelchair on one side, he'd walk on the other, and we'd swim CD up and down. Oh, wow. And hmm. I would have, I would have Josie throw me in the swimming pool every day and say, okay, you better swim on ground. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and I finally, that was, that was in 81, and actually, I made the final that year because oh it was God. a wow. remarkable hmm. healing. So the when, Lord had to die. So when the doctor told you that, like, you probably wouldn't walk again and you, like, definitely weren't going to ride again, what was going through your mind? Were you like, oh, hell no? 
that's not <laughs> that's not what's going to happen. My idea was I'll show them. Yeah, <laughs> prove them yeah. wrong. You yeah. sure did. I knew that I had to. Yeah, and I, in fact, while you were talking, I had a girl call me a while ago, and I had not seen her in quite a few years. And her name is Donna Roselle, and she called. She said, "I just had an injury, and I I'm having all kind of hip problems, and I still want to ride, and I want to know what you did." And I told her, you know, you got to get out. You got to make yourself. And I've always said, you know, and one time, and I'll tell you this little story real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, in 1980, when I'm getting ready to go to the AQHA and the WPY, uh, the veterinarian told me that, that you you probably can't go on Sunny because his hawks are so bad. He's got such bad hawks. And what did I do? I changed veterinarians. <laughs> and then I, I found a veterinarian that showed me how to wrap him, how to rub him, how to ice him, you know. And so you you have to you have to look, you know. A lot of people can't see the trees for the forest, mm-hmm, and you've got to look beyond. But anyway, that year was the year he won both. And, wow. And, you know, because... AQHJ, winning that was something, then to go on to win the world. And you were talking about different things. Probably going into the 10th go-round, I had three students at the NFR that year. It was Lynn McKenzie that I had trained. It was Jeannie Davis that I had sold her her horse. (laughs) It's Jane Mason that we found her on. So oh, I wow. actually had students running against me that night. In the 10th run, Lynn McKenzie and I were nick and tuck, and all I had to do was not hit a barrel and make a pretty good run. And see, uh, Sonny slipped going into the first <gasps> barrel, and when he slipped, it made him kind of threw me off balance. And then coming around, I like to have never got him over for the second barrel. And and we ended up winning. So <laughs> wow. you know that was that was really great because mm-hmm. that one run could have cost me the world. Yeah. And wow. then going back, I've got to tell you about my other accident. I was trying in 2004 to make the national finals for the fifth second because I wasn't really satisfied. On this <laughs> no, <one>. no. <laughs> and I was at a rodeo in South Texas. And I was coming from the end barrel, and it was a long alleyway. And at the end of the alleyway was a gate, and the gate was opened by mistake. And when they saw me running out, they hollered, Martha Josie's coming. Shut the gate. And they shut it right in front of me. And me and Redman Bay both went over the fence and landed oh. on cement. Oh, my goodness. And I ended up. Knowing, not knowing anything for a couple of weeks. Oh, and that was probably one of the worst accidents. Yeah, that's but, scary. Yeah. And that was in March, and I ended up making the short go at Greeley in July. Hmm. So that was another remarkable recovery. Yeah, that no is. doubt. Because I had broken my pelvis again. Oh, my goodness. And uh, so I've had a lot of accidents. But, yeah. You know, things are going to happen. 
Mm-hmm. They are. And almost everything that happened wasn't because I wasn't riding a good horse. No. Yeah. All of the horses were good. Yes. So how do you mentally overcome those accidents and get back in the saddle and still be confident and get all those negative um, like thoughts. thoughts out of your mind that that's going to happen again? Well, I know in 1981 when uh, Sandra Jagot had come with me, she, she had traveled with me quite a bit with me and Josie. And she came in and she said, oh, by the way, I drew you out of of uh, Reno. And I said, you did. I said, you better get me back in. She said, oh, I can get you back in. I'm a director. And then I told her, I said, you cannot. If you drew me out, you can't get me back in. And I really wanted to go because I thought I could, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that it's all in your, and, you know, you've got to rely on the good Lord to help you too. Mm-hmm. I think he healed me more than than the doctors have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think just knowing you can. Yeah, and I'm today. I'm just as motivated as I ever was. That's you know, amazing. excited that we're getting ready to have another clinic. And, yeah, that's um, awesome. We didn't really, we didn't really let the the bad stuff that's been going on around the world, you know, you just think about all the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. There's always something good out there. Yes, there is. (laughs) There is. So going back to your clinics and talking about things good, after all your years of barrel racing, do you still find yourself learning from people who pass through your ranch? Oh, definitely. You always learn something. Yeah. Even at my clinic now, you know, I'll I'll tell a student to do something, and I'll say, "Oh, that's what I need to do on my horse." Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're always you're always learning, you know. And I don't think the barrel pattern will ever change much because I think we've got it just that just about as good as it can be. But just watch out, you know. Look at the apple at least. It's how much better everything gets. Mm-hmm. You know, the horses are always getting better and everything, but you still, there's been a lot of good ones already. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we love watching your training videos on YouTube. How do you think online platforms have changed the industry for trainers and clinicians? Oh, I think you can relate to a lot more people now. Yes, yeah. you definitely can. And social media is so great. And have y'all got any ideas on how it could be better? I mean, y'all have looked at my Facebook. Have you got any suggestions? Oh, geez, I think you're. I think you're doing pretty darn. <laughs> you're doing good. so good, so so good. Mm-hmm. And like, I even um, when I have problems with my horse or like some, like I constantly, constantly in watching videos and I, there's a, there's videos of you in a green shirt and I have watched so many of those videos. Like I, I forget which training videos they are, but you have made like you're, yeah, you're wearing a green shirt and I learned so much from those videos that you've put on. I just always remembered you in that shirt. <laughs> when you watch videos, you want to watch hands, you know, mm-hmm. you're 
right hand needs to be on the right side of your horse's neck. Yes. Mm-hmm. Your left hand needs to be on, you know, and watch hands in, in your seat, in your legs. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's really, it's really good. The girl that's helping me a lot now is Ashley, and we talked with her about her before. But mm-hmm. when she's not running or riding a barrel horse, she's a tennis player. Oh, wow. And so, you know, that any sport that you can play will help you a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that my basketball playing, and even today, I tell my, I tell my barrel racers, even if you're not a basketball player, get you a basketball and learn how to dribble it. Because when you're dribbling that basketball, you're not looking at the basketball. You, you get the feel of it. I tell them to learn how to dribble just like the pros, behind their back, in between their legs, everywhere. Yeah. And I, I guarantee that will help you more than anything. And then jumping rope, getting that coordination. Those two things, you know. Definitely. So we see also that you're a huge advocate of wearing a helmet. Can you share with our listeners the importance of wearing one? And maybe did you notice a change in your own confidence while riding with a helmet? Oh, definitely. You know, I think there's been times when I needed a suit all over. Oh, <laughs> I needed I needed to be padded from the head, top of the head, down to the, my toes. Oh, boy. But anything that, you know, you know, helmets are good. Mm-hmm. Um, and we find that to have the safest arenas that you can have, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's a little bit of padding here or there or whatever, any time that you can make safer things, um, this is really, really good. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, again, having, you know, having a horse that that you can have confidence in. And like I said, every time I ever got hurt, it wasn't because of the horse. Yeah. You know, so it wasn't, so don't, don't get on horses that, are going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, have them broke and or give them enough exercise that they're not high as a kite. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sure. Barrel horses yeah. can get like that if they sit for too long. Yes. <laughs> yeah. One thing that we tell our, we have so many younger barrel racers coming and we usually tell them the age of the horse and the age of the rider need to be 25. You put a five-year-old, you probably need a 20-year-old on this horse. Yeah. Or if yeah. you're 10, you need a 15-year-old. <laughs> like you know. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good That's way to look at kind it. kind of a good range. <laughs> yeah, know. for sure. There's yeah. some young horses that you can put young riders on, but as a, as a role, you know, you need to look for a babysitter. Yeah. Start them out on a babysitter. Yeah. yeah. You want to yeah. build their confidence too while they're young, right? You don't want yeah. to put them on something where they're scared or 
Horse and rider, yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're also a published author. Can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write and what your books are about? Most of my books are on training. And just recently we're talking about a biography. Mm-hmm. Oh. And some of the things that I've talked about today, mm-hmm. you know, because everybody wants to know what, well, that's why we started our schools because I yeah. told Ghost, I said, we're winning, you're winning, I'm winning. Everybody wants to know what we do, so let's have schools. And now there's several schools. Yeah. But we kind of were one of the first ones to start. I think we were one of the first ones to start, but for some reason, we're still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, something's working. 50 <laughs> some odd years later, and I'm not, but. 29. <laughs> you must be enjoying it. Yes. I think so, yeah. <laughs> so what's the title of your book? The title of the new, the new one? Your new book, yeah. Yeah, I haven't decided yet. No? <laughs> and we're still looking for a real good writer, so if you know somebody out there that might be you know, I want somebody like the book um, Secretariat. Okay. Oh, yes. You know how great that book was? Yeah. And then the movie followed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. I think that I think that uh, that could happen here too. I feel I feel a movie would be very yeah. appropriate. Yeah, I think so. You know, even at a clinic, I really inspire my my students to keep notes because there's never a way that you can remember everything. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So keeping notes, you know, and y'all are so good because you've asked so many great questions. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> y'all are, y'all are, and there's actually three of y'all? Yeah. Yes, there's there three. are three. Yeah. Two Stephanie. Yeah. And Nadine. Yes. Nadine. Yeah. Nadine. <laughs> It's nice because we can use all our brain power to make sure we really cover all the bases. Yes. <laughs> well, good. Well, it's been, been fun. Yeah. And on a typical day, you know, a typical day for me is thinking about, mm, what can we do? I just asked Ashley yesterday, what can we do to for our next clinic to make it even more exciting? Oh, you know? Yeah. We're always wanting, you know, to m- take the ne- next step. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's and that's why your clinics right have been now, so long-standing, too, obviously. Yeah. yeah. You know, Jimmy Smith, she started here, I think she was five the first time she ever came to oh, wow. one of our junior worlds. Uh, Ryan Patone has been doing really good. She has been to several clinics, of course, that. Wendell, Wendell Johnson, she's not a student, but she's been riding my saddle. Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. And, of course, Mary Walker's back out there doing good again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very iconic. Yes. It's, Names. Yeah. And Mary, of course, has cloned her good, great horse and got two really good-looking horses that hmm. really look like. Oh, cool. And That's then cool. the Redman Bay horse that I actually got hurt on, um, he, he I didn't tell you, but he went, the grandfather that bought him, he ended up going to the granddaughter. And next year, 
She won our junior world. She won the IQHA. And then she cloned him, and she's writing one of the clones. Oh, cool. Just him and is really, really winning. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Wow. We don't. We haven't heard a, a whole lot about the cloning. I think it maybe hasn't made its way up here to northern Alberta yet. But how do how does one even do that? Is yeah. that like a very specialized uh, reproductive um, place down there that that would have to do it? Yes. Yeah. 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 I have CD Reed buried here on the place, oh. and I have honestly several times wanted to go take and find him. And yeah. try to have him. Oh, yeah, like, that would, so would cool. that would that be possible? Yeah, yeah. Well, oh. it, probably so. Yeah, that kind of you just got to have some heart, you know. And, yeah, and but wow, that's so I wish cool. back when he passed away, there you know they weren't even thinking that. Yeah, him. yeah. But I would because those great, you know, the great ones. You after they're gone, you. Wish they you still had them. Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. But on Blaze, her horse is really. And Redman Bay was just—he was so good. Yeah. And when I rode him, I rode him in 2004, and just really, really did a lot of good. And he had—he had really. That was kind of at the end of his career mm-hmm. when we got him, but he—he he was. One of the greats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Martha, I think what makes you, like, obviously all your accomplishments and everything you've done has made you so special. But I think another factor to that is how much you give back to the barrel racing community and how much you inspire people and want to teach and learn. And your willingness to just do all, do all this, even this podcast – And with that, we'd like to give one final thank you today to Martha Josie for coming on to the Horse Poor podcast and sharing her inspirational story on our platform. Unfortunately, the power got cut out in Texas right when Nadine was asking this final question about her Josie Junior World Finals. With a clinic this past week, we just haven't been able to make our schedules reconvene again for another phone call with Martha, but we hope we can bring you that in the very near future. All right, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in, and we really hope you enjoyed that episode. Yes, and make sure that you subscribe to this podcast because the more subscriptions and the more times you tell a friend, the more we are able to bring you content of this caliber. Uh, So yeah, leave us a review, tell a friend, and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Horsepoor Podcast. And as always, get rich or ride trying. (laughs) 